In general, if somebody wants to obligate himself to do something for somebody else, or to give something, or to support somebody even, for a particular amount of time, in order to make that obligation binding, it's not enough just for him to say it, but he would need to do some form, some act of acquisition, in order to obligate himself to that. However, if it is done just before they get married, so at that point it was anyway the custom for the husband and wife to make particular conditions with each other, to promise things to each other, and so if he obligates himself to do something at that time, then even if it is only stated, and he doesn't perform an act of acquisition, then that obligation is binding, and he would need to keep to his word. And also, so Isha, one who gets married to a woman, and at the time of the Nesuin, she fixed a deal with him, and he agreed that he would support her daughter for five years. She already had a daughter from a different marriage, and this man now obligated himself with his words to support this daughter for the next five years. He would indeed be obligated to support her for the next five years. Now what happens if within those five years he divorces this woman, and then Nisis La'acher, she goes and gets married to another man, this would be her third husband by now, and she made exactly the same condition with him. She fixed with him that he would support her daughter for the next five years. Says the Mishnah, he as well is Chayv Lezun Chamishonim. He would be obligated to support her for the next five years. But even then, the obligation of the first husband still remains. Le'yama Horisha in the first husband, not really her first, first husband, the first husband which we discussed in this Mishnah, He's not able to say, If you come to me and we're married together and we remain married, then Azuna. Then I will support her. Now that you're married to somebody else, why would I support your daughter from a different marriage? He is not able to say that because the condition which he made was not on condition that they're still married. He obligated himself to support her daughter. And so that obligation remains. He would be obligated to bring her food or money, which she can use to buy food, to the place where her mother lives. Since she would generally live with her mother, so he would bring that money or that food to her mother's house. And the truth is it would be money, not food. As the mission now tells us, Both of these husbands can't say, We will support this daughter um, together. We'll both give half-half, and she'll be supported for five years. That's not enough. Rather, one of them must support her with food, and one of them would give her the value of the food, and in general it would be the husband who is currently married to her who would support her actually with the food, and a previous husband would just send the money of the food to her house. Mission based, the scenario continues. So far, there are two people who are supporting her. What happens if this daughter, then Nisses, she gets married? So just like every husband, her husband will be obligated to give her food and to support her, the Hain. And these two husbands of her mother, they would give her the value of her food. So she's now being supported by one person and receiving the value which would take to support her twice over from two other people. And the mission takes us a step further. Mesu. What happens if the husbands, those who are obligated to give this woman the money, 
if they die, so Bunei Sehen, these people's own daughters, not their stepdaughter from this woman who they married, but their own daughters, the halacha is that when a man dies, his daughters are supported from an inheritance, but only his inheritance which he didn't sell, or he didn't give to somebody else. They can be supported by property which is free. It is not bound to anybody else. The he, but this stepdaughter, who they obligated to support for five years, she can even receive this support from the which is property which is no longer his. It could be that he sold it already. Since she is considered to be like a regular person who is just owed money, somebody like that can receive their debt, even from that which he sold, and so too this daughter would be able to do so. And the Mishnah notes that Hapikchem, the clever people, when they would make this sort of condition, when they would write to the woman that I'm obligating myself to support your daughter for five years, or I'm marrying you with that condition, I'm going to ask the condition that I will support your daughter for five years, but they add Kolzmansh at Emi, as long as you are still with me and we're, ma- and we're living married together. But as soon as I divorce you, and all the more so when you go and marry somebody else, my obligation will end because I only have interest in supporting your daughter as long as I will be married to you. Mr. Gimel, one of the conditions of the Kasuba, which we, which was listed in that long list at the end of the fourth Perek, with all of the conditions written in the Kasuba, is that once the man dies, the widow is permitted to continue living in his house. As well as that, all of the things which she would benefit from of his property whilst she was still married. And if, for example, there was a particular slave which would serve her, she can continue benefiting from exactly the same things as long as she is living in the house of her husband. Almonasha Omra, a widow who says to the children of her husband who has died, those children who would inherit that house, if she loses Bali. I don't want to move and leave my husband's house. I want to live here. In Ayosh Mechayim Loi Ma'alah, the inheritors are not able to say to her, Go to your father's house, and we'll support you over there. That's another one of the conditions of the Kasuba, that she is supported by the inheritors. So they're not allowed to say that we'll only support you if you go back to your father's house. Rather, they would support her whilst she's living in her father's house, and as well as that, they need to give her a living place in that house according to her honour. If she was an honourable woman, or if her husband was very respectable, and for example, if she had a particular slave, all of those examples, they would be obligated to continue providing her with that, just like the husband had provided her with that. That is essentially this condition of the kasuba that exactly what she was given before the marriage, she'll receive as a widow in her husband's house. Now what happens if she says the opposite? If she says that I don't want to move from my, from my father's house, I only want to live in my father's house and not in this house, together with the inheritors. The inheritors are able to say to her, If you are with us in the same house, then then you have got our support and we will feed you. But if you are not with us in the same house, then you do not have any right to being supported by us. And they have a very valid claim. Because if there are lots of people living in the same house, an added person living in that house 
costs far less to support than if they were by themselves. Most of the things are anyway shared between them, and so for them to have to support her in her own house would cost them much more. And the condition of the Kasubla was that she would live in their house together with them and be supported that way. The Gemara, however, does say they would still be obligated to give her a little bit, and that is the small added cost which there would be if she lived in the same house, that is what they would need to give her if she insists on living in her father's house. That having been said, if the reason why she's insisting on living in her father's house and not with them is if she claims that it's because she is a girl and they are boys and they're relatively young and it's not appropriate for them to live in the same house together, they might spread a bad name, they might come even to do Averis together, and so in such a case she's got a real valid claim for why she is not going to live in their house. So in such a case, they would be obligated to support her even whilst in her father's house. Mr. Dalad, as long as she is still living in her father's house, so after her husband died, she returned to her father's house, and they are supporting her over there, she has forever to collect her kasuba. Even if she comes 30 years later with her kasuba document saying that she hasn't yet received it, she can still claim her kasuba many years later. However, Kozman should be based by law, as long as she is still living in her far in her husband's house, she can only collect her ksuba for up to 25 years after her husband's death. Why? Because 25 years is enough that she would have done favors corresponding to the value of her ksuba. Meaning, for example, if a neighbor comes to borrow some flour, for example. So she would give her a little bit of flour, and that is a tiny amount that's not worth very much. But over 25 years, all of those small amounts add up to being the estimated value of her kasuba. And since that is not part of her herself being supported, technically she is taking from the inheritance that which she is not really entitled to. And so that comes off of her kasuba, and therefore, after 25 years, she would lose her rights to collecting her kasuba. Dear Rabbi Meir, that is the opinion of Rabbi Meir, who said it in the name of Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel. However, the Chachomim say the exact opposite is true. You're right that the Chachomim said this rule about 25 years, but it's the opposite. Calls man she erased by law, as long as she is living in her husband's house, she can collect her ksuba forever. They have no concern about her doing favors, and for that to be considered losing her rights to the kasuba. Rather, according to the Chachomim, the reason for the 25-year limit is that if she is being supported for 25 years and she still hasn't received her kasuba, we view that as if she has relinquished her rights to the kasuba. She's happy as she is being supported, and she gives off the ownership of the kasuba. She relinquishes that right. So indeed, we do say that if Kozman should be based on Viha. As long as she was living in her father's house, then she can collect her ksuba only up to 25 years later. But past that, we view it as if she has relinquished that right and has given it over because she's happy just being supported. However, if she's living in her husband's house, then as the Mishnah said, she can collect the ksuba forever because we don't view the fact that she was silent and didn't say anything as relinquishing her right. It could just be that she's uncomfortable. Since she is literally living with those people who are supporting her, she feels a bit ashamed and uncomfortable to ask for her kasuba. She's living with those people who are doing all of those favors for her. They're obligated, of course, but she has great gratitude that they are supporting her. So she feels uncomfortable to ask for the kasuba. But that doesn't mean that she relinquishes her right to it. 
The reason why she hasn't asked for it yet is just because she's uncomfortable to do so. And because of that, she would still be able to receive her ksuba even more than 25 years later. Now, Mesa, in any case, if she dies, then her inheritors can mention the kasuba for up to 25 years, but if they are silent and don't mention it at all for the next 25 years, since they are not being supported, so we do view that silence as them having relinquished their rights to the kasuba. They're certainly not doing favours for the neighbours, because they don't live in that house. And as well as that, they are not uncomfortable to ask for the kasuba because they are not being supported, and therefore, after 25 years of not asking for the kasuba, we view that of them having relinquished their right, and they forego on their rights to the kasuba.